invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 9, as we look at the transfiguration of uh, Jesus this morning. Now, following Jesus, it, it's a wonderful journey. It's a journey of mountain highs and valley lows. And surrounding our glorious mountain of transfiguration story this morning, we have two valleys on the sides of the narrative. First of all, before Jesus ascends the mountain here, he's just rebuked Peter, get behind me, and then he also predicts his suffering and death. Now, following our mountain experience here, Jesus descends with the disciples right amongst demonic oppression once again and human powerlessness, but, but on the mountain. Now, on this mountain, there's a, a beatific vision of Jesus, which is given and that vision of Jesus gives strength to serve him and the watching world. And it gives us hope to persevere. It is a vision of what humanity will one day be with Jesus as the only hope for the world to ever realize it. Now on this mountain, we behold Jesus Christ in his glory, who is the hope of the world. Will you pray with me to this tune? Heavenly Father, your son, Jesus Christ, was wonderfully transfigured before these chosen witnesses upon your holy mountain. Spoke of the exodus he would accomplish at Jerusalem. Would you here give us strength to hear his voice, to bear our cross, that in the world to come we may see Jesus as he is and become like him, who is alive and who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So we who are in Christ are given a glimpse of the glory that we will one day share with him in the resurrection on the last day. This promise of sharing in Jesus' glory, it just it drips from Jesus' lips throughout his ministry. It's uh, seen in Peter's life and then as he bears witness in letter form. The Apostle Paul also gives pointers saying, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The mortal will put on immortality. And even John speaks hope this way. He says, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The promise of sharing in Christ's glory is a great boon for the Christian faith. Though, I think it's safe to say, we catch but glimpses of his glory in this life. Again, look at the story here, sandwiching the account before us. Jesus is promising on both sides of this mountain experience, he's promising that he will suffer and he will die. And then to encourage the disciples, he invites them in, he says, you're going to suffer and die on my account as well. But then he does promise hope, for he will rise and the disciples will rise in him. As we turn in the Gospel of Mark to chapter 9, it seems like Mark is kind of refreshing his browser a little bit. That little wheel is spinning, and we're taken back to the homepage of Mark chapter 1. Because there we see Jesus, and we have the appearance of Moses and Elijah. The Father's voice is heard. The Spirit descends in a cloud form, and Jesus calls disciples unto himself once again. There's a new, more glorious chapter in Jesus' life and ministry beginning here in chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. We read this, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. 
What would we expect after seeing after six days? Wouldn't we expect rest? Creation ordinance on the Sabbath day of rest? As the inner core of Jesus' disciples are called to ascend with Christ, He is changed before their eyes and they behold His glory. And in that glory, in beholding it, there's space provided for rest. To simply just be in His presence, naked and without shame. We, we know the story where Peter has a desire to make tents, to tabernacle with Jesus on that mountaintop. And he's not entirely wrong in that desire, is he? That's what God's glory in Jesus Christ does. It provides space to rest, to simply be in His presence. But His glory not only provides rest, it also propels. If we look to the end of our section here, we see that Jesus calls them down the mountain once again. His glory propels His disciples into His new order, His new creation. Because on this mountain, a new story for humanity is unfolding. See, you've got the law and the prophets represented. And the law and the prophets, they converge in Christ, who is revealed as fully God and fully man. The revelation of full humanity dwelling in the fullness of God. Jesus with His disciples then descend in the revealed glory of Christ to serve the world riddled with sin. Jesus, who is the image of the true man, the second Adam, rightly ruling the world, has given a glimpse, a vision of His glory. And in that glory, there's space for the disciples to rest. But there's also a propelling in the greater service. Verse 3, Jesus was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. His glory is revealed here. Now, a few paragraphs earlier, Peter is able to see Jesus more clearly. He professes, you are the Christ, and Peter is counted blessed because God has revealed Jesus to Peter. And then here, Peter with James and John, they glimpse Christ in a fuller glory. They had seen Him. They'd been with Him. They'd seen miracle upon miracle. But all that they'd seen before pales in comparison to that what they see now. Now, for those who follow Jesus, there's no guarantee that we will get glimpses of the glory of Jesus in such manner. Maybe like the disciples, our sight is often clouded with, with crowds and crowds of people, needy, lepers, demon-possessed. Maybe our ears are stuffed with insults, the unasked for and undeserved trials of life dot our lives' landscapes. We don't always see Jesus for who He is. Perhaps the best we can do is to give space and attention to God, entrusting His timing and plan to be for our good. Peter, James, and John, they simply follow Jesus. You've got to love Peter. I mean, he's speaking blunders continually, and he's preaching the gospel simultaneously. He was simply available to be used by Christ. And then he follows when the Lord calls him. And so with us, we are asked to simply be available, to give space and attention to the one who loves us by giving attention to us. Indeed, the first act of love is the giving of attention. We love 
because He first loves us. Although the attention of God can be a bit of a frightening reality. Verse 4, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Doesn't seem like an unreasonable request to me. Peter here seems to be giving way, like uh, many of us do, to fearful chatter, unthinkingly rambling on, fear overpowering reason. I mean, what would you do if you were Peter in this situation? Well, Peter ends up breathing benediction into this cloud of glory. Gratitude is bursting forth through anxiety and uncertainty, and Peter pronounces, it's good that we're here with you. It is good to be here, is his benediction. But what makes this so good? Well, the fact that Moses and Elijah are present with the glorified Jesus comprises much of the goodness in this encounter. See, the law of Moses and the prophets, Elijah, They've always been forming God's people into true humanity. Not just setting them right to obey certain laws. They're seeking to form and transform a people into true humanity. Pure reflections of the image of God. Repentance, faith, obedience to God's word. They're necessary parts of the law and of the prophets. Because in our sin, our hearts need to be transformed. Our lives need to be conformed to God's gracious design, so that what we have on this mountain, we are in the presence of the true human, who is Jesus, and the law and the prophets are converging and giving homage, paying homage to the radiant, intensely bright and holy Jesus, the true man, to whom the law and the prophets always pointed. I get the picture that Moses and Elijah, they're saying, see, this is what we're talking about. This is the one we've been pointing to. All along. I think it's good for them to be there also because of the, this mountaintop community. There's something going on here. Very mysterious how this all unfolds for us, isn't it here? But I think there's something in the image of this community on this mountain. Something that informs who we are as followers of Jesus. Witnesses to his glory. These two historical giants of Moses and Elijah bear witness to Jesus in his glory, while the three disciples are then commissioned to descend as witnesses. Having seen the glory of Christ, they descend as witnesses of that glory. And this brings up another pain point for us living in this fallen world, because life in community, the community of Christ, the body of Christ, it's often messy. It's interrupted, especially during this pandemic season. Even when we're gathered, I don't think anybody's going to confuse what we're doing here today with a mountaintop experience with the transfigured Jesus. It doesn't seem quite the same. We long for him, and we need community with one another because God himself is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Humanity images him best in community. So I just encourage you in this season... Some of our brothers and sisters are tasting isolation and loneliness deeply because of the pandemic concerns. So I just encourage you to make efforts to connect one with another, whether it be a call, a text, a note, 
Touch points go a long way. Bear patiently with one another as we approach the realities of living in this season. Bear patiently with one another. Hurts will come. Differences will be known. But continue to connect with one another. Reaching out. Christ's glory is manifest in, in small ways, in small touches. Oh yeah, it's glorious on the mountaintop. But that's not where we dwell most of our lives. It is good to be near to Jesus, to see who we are, to be who we are, and what we are to do. We find more in seeing his glory, ever doing, ever becoming. Verse 8, we read this. Suddenly, looking around them, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Verse 9, and as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen. From the dead. Now, if you have trouble keeping a secret, this would be tough. There's a commanded silence here. And again, for me, it's another reminder that this vision of Christ's glory and his presence it is given only in accord with God's grace. While the commission as witnesses will hold forever, he says, Don't tell about it now. When I'm raised, bear witness. A purpose of this vision is to speak of it when Jesus is no longer with them. As witnesses, to give others a, a sight of Jesus' glory, though he is physically absent. Disciples were left on this mountain with a singular vision of Jesus and Jesus only. And they're called to bear witness that they might also leave people with this same vision of Jesus and Jesus only. And that. I mean, that there, that, that's a nugget of confidence for us who are called to serve Christ, for those of us who are called to walk with others in the world. It's simply this, that we are simply called to give a sight, to bear witness to Jesus and his glory. Now, as human beings, we're all asking some fairly big questions, it seems to me, no matter how distracted uh, we can be. For instance, what am I to give my energy to? What am I to devote my life to? Is it college? Is it acting? Is it motherhood? Am I to have a really fit body? Am I to fight racism? Am I to be a mountaineer? That's a good thing. Well, who am I or who am I becoming? That question's good. Well, adulting is hard. I want to be an adult. Many in our society feel that I was born as a boy, but I feel like a girl a lot of the time. How about this, a devoted spouse or one who swipes left or right? Who am I to be? What kind of person am I to become? What is the meaning of all of this? Where is life heading? Where is this world going? And is happiness even possible? So look, it's really easy to just dismiss people that disagree with us, who differ from us. But we hold the image of this mountain before us, and Jesus calling his people to himself, and then sending them out into the world, having seen his vision or his glory. Those who have beheld Jesus in his glory delight to do their best to show others that same glory. Now, we know that beholding Jesus in his glory does not answer all of those questions in a moment. The moment we see Jesus, all of life's problems don't just melt away. Even here, in his presence, the disciples remain confused and fearful. But this event reveals that, that the mountain was always what humanity was intended 
before, to dwell in the glory of God in the face of Christ. So as Jesus dwelt patiently with his followers, we live patiently with one another, with others in our lives, beholding Jesus ourselves, simply inviting others in. Verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. A cloud descends. In the same way that Moses was enshrouded on Mount Sinai in a cloud, and in the tent of meeting, the cloud would descend. And as Elijah is on the mountain and the cloud descends, and he is ascending in fiery chariots, so this mountain is once again shrouded in the glory cloud of God. The Spirit again hovers over a new creation. The Word speaks into this new creation, forming a new humanity built upon His very Word. The same voice that rang out when Jesus was baptized speaks here once again. This is my beloved Son. See, the Father's grace to send His Son. The Son's humility to be sent and the Spirit being sent to enlighten hearts and minds. Describing it all, he says, Beloved, my beloved Son. And therein lies the hope of our glory. That we are transformed, clothed in shining face. They're but the emanation of God's love for His Son. Sorry, I'm just realizing my microphone was messed up here. Is that better back there? When he says beloved, that is our hope for glory, and therein lies our glory. To be transformed, not just in clothing and shining faces, but what is that shining face in that clothing of Jesus? It's simply an emanation of the love of God, the love that God has for his son. And we, we who are his, we who are Christ's, we belong to Christ, beloved in Christ. Our glory is encompassed in that love in the mortality which is being transformed into immortality. Glorified flesh is emanating forth the love of God. We are called to bear witness as his beloved sons and daughters. And then the voice speaks, not only is this my beloved son, but listen to him. Listen to him, for he speaks. God speaks. His word has become flesh. And here he is seen in glorified form. To some of these questions that we're all asking in some form or another above, we're all seeking glory in some way or another. For we're all created in the image of God. We're all created to image or to bear his glory in a watching world. But we have fallen from glory in sin. And now life is ever a movement of glory to glory in the presence of Christ. Or it is a movement away towards infinite darkness and the void of his happy presence. And our pursuit is full of mountainous highs and valley lows, but the command remains the same. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. A glimpse of glory is what the disciples got. Then seeing Jesus only, dreams of remaining are dashed as he calls them into the valley. Can you imagine, Peter? Can we just build three places for us? We can all just dwell here for a little while. And then all they see is Jesus left, and he calls them down, back into the valley. No word of this moment seems to be whispered by Peter or the others until Peter's letter. And he writes of it following Jesus' resurrection. 
his letter is intending to guide others into that same glorious presence. Though Jesus is absent in his ascended glory, Peter's word echoes the Father's voice. He says, look to Jesus, God's beloved Son, and listen to him. The reality is that, that no one can ascend this holy mountain to attain that glory on his own. We must follow Jesus, who is the true human, the final Adam, the glorified man. Follow Jesus through the valley lows in order to ascend to the glorious heights. Because what happens here is that not only does Jesus ascend this mountain and then descend, but he will soon ascend another mountain where his glory would once again be revealed. And there on that mountain, his earthly tent would be torn. His once shining clothes would be divided and given away. The banquet which Peter envisioned was for Jesus, but the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus' glory here at that mountain lay in his laying down his very life in order to take it up again. For in so doing, he takes with him his beloved sons and daughters, climbing that same mountain to share in his glory. So we are called to share first in the glory of Christ by ascending with him in the cross. For there is no resurrection life without participation in the suffering and death of our true hope, Jesus Christ. But as his word promises, we are buried, we who are buried in a death like his will share in new life with him. And in this life, we will know intimately the descent into the valley of the shadow of death. But even there, Christ promises to be with us. And we will taste, even in the smallest ways, the glory of ascending in Christ. Where seeing Christ only, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Until that day, one day, where our hope will be realized finally and fully. Where we who are raised in Christ will become like Christ, where we shall see him as he is. And we will then hear the Father's voice once again saying, This is my beloved, and he is mine. He is my beloved. She is my beloved. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter into my rest forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this word which is living and active. And now we ask as we beheld a bit of Christ's glory, would you transform us more into that glory from one degree to the next, that we might honor you and give glory to your name. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.